There are certain expressions that we commonly use, and they become pedestrian, they become things that we just roll off our tongue, and oftentimes I think we don't fully understand them, and they're central, vital to everything we do. And let me share with you two of them, emuna and bitochan. Emuna and bitochan. What's emuna? what's bitochan? What does it mean? Does it mean everything's going to be for the best? Everything's going to be good? Well, plenty of people die. Plenty of people get sick. People, businesses go bankrupt. And just to have a moon at all be good, just to be talking will be good. But more than what the rules are, what are these two concepts? And what I'd like to deal with this evening is understanding very clearly what emuna is, what bitochen is, and then we'll see if we could apply it a little bit to our lives in a practical manner. So let me be, begin with the following. And Moshe Rabbeinu was given the ultimate shlichus to redeem the Jewish nation, take them out of slavery, and very, very reluctantly he went to Paro, and from the minute Moshe Rabbeinu entered the palace, everything turned badly. The oppression became much more severe, and the torture became much more prominent and salient. It went from very, very bad to far worse very quickly. And Moshe Rabbeinu was the loving leader of the Klai and at a certain point he turns to Hashem and says, Lama hariosa lama zeh, lama zeh Why have you made it bad for this people? Why have you sent me? And then Hashem explained to us what he was saying to Hashem was, You have a cheshben, I understand. You have a cheshben why you want to increase the oppression, why you want them to suffer, but why include me? You're the master of the world, but I don't want to be a part of harming my people. Lama shalachtani, why have you sent me? And while those words were said out of tremendous love, nevertheless the Gemara tells us that there was a tremendous claim that Hashem had against Moshe Beno. And the Gemara says to us that Hashem turned to Moshe and said, Chaval al di'avdim It's a shame that which we used to have and we no longer have. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, those were great people. Avram, I told him we'll have a land that's so wide and so vast. Then he goes to bury his wife and he has to pay 400 shekel, a huge sum. Yitzhak also... Same with Yaakov. The others had many, many questions they could have asked, but never once did they ask. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, the first bump in the road, it's Lama Shalachtani, Lama Yerosa, Lama Zeh, why have you made it bad for these people? Chaval al di avdim lamashtachin, they don't make them like they used to. And that's how the Gemara explains to us what the conversation between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu was. The only problem with this Gemara is that it seems to indicate something that is not true at all. It seems to tell us and then Hashem saying, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, those are great people. Moshe, you're good, but you're nowhere near the others. Those were great people, and they no longer make them like they used to. The problem is that we know that the single greatest human being who ever lived was Moshe Rabbeinu. The Rambam calls him Av B'chachma, Av B'nevua. He reached the highest level of absolute clarity, speaking to Hashem with full consciousness. Peh al peh, fully acute, fully alert, he spoke to Hashem. The Achronim used the expression single greatest human being who ever lived. As great as Avram was, as great as Yitzhak was, as great as Yaakov was, they were not in the same category as Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu excelled even way above them. Yet this Gemara seems to indicate, ah, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, they were great people. You, Moshe, and you're nowhere near them. And I'd like to see if we can understand what in fact this Gemara really means and understand what it's telling us. And to do that, I would like to first define these two concepts, emuna and bitochen, and I think when we clearly understand them, we'll understand exactly what this Gemara is sharing with us. So let's begin. Probably the clearest definition of emuna is the words in the animamin that are codified from the Rambam, Shemona Prokim. The words are animamin bemuna shalema. I understand with a complete Understanding, complete acceptance. Shaborius Barak, that the Creator, who bore umanhig, he's the one who created and the one who orchestrates everything. Vuhu levado, and he alone, asa ose viyase lechol hamasim, he alone did, does, and will do all activities under the sun. In plain, simple language, no happenstance. No random occurrences. Hashem actively involved in the running of every activity on the planet, constantly there, constantly managing, constantly orchestrating. That's Amuna. Amuna means knowing that Hashem created the world, maintains the world, 
and orchestrates every single activity under the sun. But that's not Bitochan. Bitochan, Chavaz explains to us, is Menuchas Nefesh a relaxing of the heart of the one who trusts. It's taking my heavy load and transferring it to Hashem, and recognizing that Hashem has a plan, recognizing that Hashem knows very well what He's doing, and relying. You see, Bitochan means trusting in, relying on. I take my heavy load, I transfer it to Hashem, I say, Hashem, you're in charge, you're the boss, you know far better than I, and I rely on you, I trust in you. Emuna is the understanding that Hashem runs the world. Bitochan is then trusting in Hashem. And I'd like to share with you, you could have Emuna, very clear Emuna, and not have much Bitochan at all. And I'll share with you a classic example. Paro, Eitzah Amuka, deep, wise advice he gave his people. They had this population explosion. The Jewish, the Jewish nation was exploding, six children per birth, and they were quickly going to be run out of Mitzrayim. So Paro said to his people, make no mistake, if you're going to burn the Jewish babies, God will burn us. If you're going to hang them, God will hang us. Listen to me very carefully. Throw them into the Nile. Why? Because Hashem promised in the generation of Noah that He'll never bring another flood. I know the way Hashem works. It's Mida, Kineged Mida, measure for measure. He'll pay us back in exactly the manner in which we did it. Therefore, if we burn the babies, He'll take revenge on us. If we hang the babies, He'll take that revenge on us. But if we drown them, He promised He'll never bring another flood. We're safe. Eitz Amukad Gemara says, a wise piece of advice. Now let's focus on that. Pyro clearly understood the operating mode that Hashem used in running the world. Mida kenege mida, measure for measure. He also recognized that Hashem is present and running the world. Clearly he saw Hashem. Clearly he had a muna, not much bitochen, as a matter of fact, quite the opposite. He wasn't trusting in Hashem, he wasn't relying on Hashem, he was waging war against God. Bitochen is understanding that I rely, I trust. Emun is recognizing Hashem runs the world. Bitochen is entrusting in Hashem. And I'll share with you an example a lot closer to home. As a high school Rebbe, there was one fellow who I had to deprogram almost every week. At least once a week, this fellow would come over to me and say, Hashem is out to get me. And then he would show me the carefully laid plans. This guy did this and this guy, see, see, Hashem is out to get me. Now this fellow saw Hashem clearly in his day-to-day life. He had a muna, but he had no bitachan. Hashem was the problem. Hashem was out to get him. You see, a muna is recognizing that Hashem is involved in every activity under the sun. Bitachan is trusting Hashem, accepting that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best, accepting that Hashem loves me more than I love me. And that type of trust, and that type of unwavering trust requires a long time to learn. And I believe that's the answer to this Gemara. At this moment in time, Moshe Rabbeinu had the highest level of Amuna. He saw Hashem Bas Baklaria Meiria. As I see this table right here, it's physical, palpable, I see it. And he saw Hashem with absolute clarity, total acuteness. He understood that Hashem runs the world. But the unwavering trust, when Hashem said to Avram, Ki bi Yitzchak Yitzchak is going to be the progenitor, the father of the Jewish nation. And then Hashem says, Ola, bring him up as a Ola. That's a contradiction. An absolute stira, and there is no answer. The ability to go forward without understanding why, and the ability to trust, that unwavering, unquestioning trust. Apparently at this stage, Avram was on a higher level, Yitzhak on a higher level. As great as Moshe was in Amuna, at this stage in his life, the others were even greater in Bitochan, and I believe that's exactly what Hashem is saying. Chaval al di avdim Moshe, you're not on their level now. The unquestioning, absolute trust that Hashem runs the world, even if you don't know the answer, that doesn't mean Hashem doesn't have an answer. And even if you don't understand, it doesn't mean Hashem doesn't have a plan. And that ability to trust Hashem, rely on Hashem, apparently at this stage, Moshe did not have worked out as well as did the others. Even though Moshe was greater than him, but that was in Amuna. In Bitochan, apparently at this stage, they were still greater. And what I'd like to do now is spend a few moments sort of fleshing out what Emuna is, then fleshing out what Bitochan is, 
and see if we could better understand each and again how it applies to our lives. So let's begin with the following. There are four levels to basic emuna. And they're progressive, each one built on the other. And while they may sound simple, we'll see quickly enough that they're not so simple at all. And the first level of emuna is knowing that Hashem created and runs the world. That there was absolute absence of anything, Hashem said by He, and everything that exists was brought into existence by Hashem. Now, you may say to me, that's a given, that's simple. I, I got that one, no problem. I'd like to share with you, one-seventh of your life is dedicated to getting that concept. Shabbos is Zeichel Lamas For 25 hours, every week we stop. We stop doing creative acts. And Malacha, our man's attempt to act in a creative manner, as if he's the master of creation, for 25 hours we stop doing creative acts to bring home this point. Hashem is the Bore, Hashem is the creator, and I am a Nivra. I am the one that Hashem created. But you see, it takes an awful lot of time. And it takes a Shabbos once a week, and it takes a lot more than that, because it's supposed to be a very powerful, very real understanding. And if you'd like to understand what I mean, I'll give you a very simple example. When one of my daughter, daughters was about six years old, she was learning about Mice Baratius in school, about creation, and one day she comes home and she says, Abba, I get it. Before Hashem made the world, there were no trees, and there was no ocean, I get it, but Abba, um, what, what, what color was it? What color was it? Now, if you stop for a moment and think, what she was asking was actually a very interesting question. Because if you imagine the moment before creation, if you close your eyes and imagine before anything existed, what do you see? So typically you'll see black. But you see black as a color. Even vacuum implies physicality. And before Hashem created the physical world, there was absence of anything. No sand, no molecules, no quarks. From absolute absence of anything, Hashem said, Vayihi, and a hundred billion galaxies, each containing a hundred billion stars, came into existence. But I'm supposed to feel that. I'm supposed to be margishit, and it takes a full 25 hours once a week, and far more than that, to feel it, to understand it, to recognize it. But if you'd like to understand what I mean, I'll give you a very simple example. Imagine for a minute that uh, I'm having difficulty run, raising funds. As any nonprofit finds themselves, I find myself in trouble, and I, I got it. This is crazy. I have so much great material, I just have to get it. I need funding. So I decide I'm going to deal with this in the best way I know how. I'm going to Eretz I'm going to find the most famous hidden Kabbalist I can find, and I'm going to ask him for a bracha. Okay, I get on the plane, and I find, I find him in Svas, the grandson of Baba Sali, and I walk in, and he's got the whole gear, the hood, and dark lights. He's sitting at the desk. I walk in, he says, I know why you're here. Say no more. You're doing good work. I'm happy with what you're doing. I want you to listen to me very carefully. I'm going to write a Kamea. You have to read these words. You have to go back to America. You have to go to Walmart. I want you to buy 60 matchbox cars. Put them in the parking lot. Spread them out six feet apart. And read these words. Light this candle. Then open this envelope. He writes certain words. And the envelope seals it. Gives me the Kamea. And says, Shalom Abracha. I walk out. I don't know what to say. Listen, he's a famous hidden Kabbalist. Who knows? I don't know. I get back on the plane. As soon as I land, I head right to Walmart. Buy 60 matchbox toy cars. Put them in a the parking lot. Spread six feet behind them. I go into the basement, light the black candles, say the words, and all of a sudden I look in the parking lot. And these little toy cars start growing and growing and growing into full-size vehicles, an SUV, a sedan, all of them spread out across the parking lot. I then open the envelope and it says, now go sell them, shalom abracha, mazel. Could you imagine if that actually happened? Can you imagine I'd fall on my face say, Hashem, look him, it's a mo-face, it's a, 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 a tiny two-inch matchbox car growing into a full-size car? Do you understand that that's exactly what we experience in our day-to-day existence? The food that we eat, where does it come from? Corn, apples, potatoes, 
tomatoes, where does it come from? It comes from the ground. From the ground it comes up and just somehow, magically, it's exactly fully formed. Exactly as it should be with all of the parts of it. And if you would go to a cornfield in the summer and say to yourself, this is astonishing. It was a seed that was planted in the ground and now a six foot tall stalk with ears of corn and the flavor is perfect and each one has the kernel and each one's arranged with the husk. It's not just the food, but it comes with the packaging and it comes with the proper coloring, proper flavoring and all of it from the ground. It's a nace, it's a mo-face, far greater a miracle than if I were to put matchbox cars in a parking lot, say some words and poof, full-size vehicles will come up. And if you'd like to understand exactly what I mean, the Chassam Sofer explains that when Yeshua brought the Klai into Eretz Yisrael, He said, watch carefully. I'm going to show you miracles that you've never seen before. He took seeds, he put them in the ground, he covered it, poured some water, and said, come back tomorrow. And they came back tomorrow, he poured some more water. Come back tomorrow. Each day they came back, and suddenly from the ground, started sprouting green, and it started growing. And within a few weeks, it started sprouting more, and before you know it, food, actual food that you would eat, was coming from the ground, and they were absolutely astonished. But do you know why? Because anyone who was born in Mitzrayim died in the Midbar. The generation that went into Eretz Yisrael were all born in the desert. Where did they get their food from? Their food came from Shemayim, from heaven, Mun. Mun, the fully eatable, full edible food, came to their doorstop, but it came from Shemayim. They had never planted seeds, they had never experienced agriculture, and what Yeshua was saying to them was, watch carefully. But what they saw with fresh, open eyes was the miracle that we call nature. The problem is we become accustomed to it, and we forget the wonder, but we have to re-experience it. And it's not just Shabbos, it's on a regular day. Read the words and, and think about them. You'll see, and we focus on the wonders of Hashem's world, the physical world, the mountains, the ravens, the just read the words and think about this. And I've often said it, that I believe that biology should be renamed Emuna 101, chemistry Emuna 102, and physics Emuna 103. Because when you study the vastness of this creation, when you study the harmonious systems, when you see the complexity of it, you sit back and say, this is astonishing. If this is the creation, what does it tell me about the Creator? And as the Rambam explains to us, the most assured way to come to recognize Hashem, to love Hashem, is to study the Bria, to study the world. And that's the first level of, of Amuna, and knowing that Hashem created the world. Knowing that when I see a tree, it's there because Hashem created it and maintains it. When I see a rock, when I see an ocean, when I see a river, constantly feeling it, and constantly being margish it, and that's the first level of Amuna. The second level of Amuna is a bit different. The second level of Amuna is knowing that on a global level, Hashem runs the world. Knowing that Hashem determines which countries will go to war, which countries will suffer famine, which new diseases will suddenly pop up and a pandemic wipes out the who knows what. Which technologies are brought to the marketplace, which new discoveries, cures are found. Knowing that Hashem is like that chess master arranging the pieces on that multi-level chessboard. This pawn here, this bishop here, arranging all of mankind's future. That is the second level of Amuna. And if you'd like to understand this in a little bit more clear manner, the New York Times, a number of years ago, bragged about having 460 full-time correspondents. Because there are 16 news boroughs across so many different issues. Because on this globe, occupied by 7.6 billion people, there are a lot of issues and a lot of things that if you want to cover the world it requires an awful lot of people and an awful lot of reporting because there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. And if you know that Hashem determines on Rosh Hashanah everything that's going to happen, that Hashem writes the headlines of the New York Times on Rosh Hashanah, but not the headlines of that day, the headlines of every day to come, and it means the national section, the international section, and which 
country will suffer exactly what, in what manner, what time, that from a global perspective, Hashem runs the big picture issues of life, that is the second level of Amunah. And what that means in plain language is, when I sit back and read the paper, and especially when things look very, very scary, or wherever you get your news today, when things look very, very frightening, I say to myself, wow, this is astonishing. I can't wait to see how Hashem bails us out of this. Because that's the understanding that a Jew brings to the world. That Hashem is orchestrating these events. There's a plan. There's a driver. We're heading in a course. We are the Amanivchar, and we're being brought to a particular place. But Hashem is there running it, orchestrating it. The first level of Amun is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world. The second level of Amun is knowing that Hashem orchestrates the big picture issues of life. And now we move on to the third level of Amunah. To understand the third level of Amunah, I'd like to give you a mushal. Imagine you hear about this Rabbi Schaefer from Muncie, and you hear, I hear he's a real nice guy, I hear he's a tzaddik. I hear every Friday, he goes to this Amunah, to this widow's house, and he helps her, he shops, and he cleans. I heard he's even on the floor scrubbing the, the, the kitchen floor. What a big tzaddik. Very impressive. Until you find out that this woman has an estate worth $25 million and no living heirs. Big tzaddik. Here's the point. My intentions don't color my actions. My intentions define my actions. If my actions are altruistic and I'm looking to help a Nebuchadnezzar woman, my intentions define what I'm doing. If my intentions are to get rich quick based on her Yerusha, then that defines the entire action that I'm doing as self-centered and rather ugly. But you see, my intentions define what I do. And once you understand that, then I'll share with you the very simple observation. If you believe in Scharva Onish, if you believe in reward and punishment, then perforce you believe that Hashem knows exactly what you're thinking when you're thinking it. Because how could I believe that Hashem will reward me or punish me when so much of what I'm doing is based on my thoughts? And this is the third level of Amuna. And knowing that Hashem reads through me like a book, Hashem knows exactly what I'm thinking as I'm thinking it. And we human beings, we think we get it. We think we know it. what he's thinking, what she's thinking. I, I got it all planned out and we know nothing. I'll share with you a very interesting example. It was a number of years back and there was a small shtibel in Lakewood and for Rosh Hashanah, they decided they wanted a very serious davening, and they asked anyone who has children, please don't daven in this minion. There's another minion up the block, another minion down the block, plenty of opportunities, but we want a very particular focused davening. If you want to bring your children, please go there, but not to our minion. Okay, the Gabai sent out the emails, they put the signs up, everyone knew, everything's good to go. Rosh Hashanah day, the Gabai's sitting near Shachris, pretty close to Baruch Hu, and as he's shuckling away, a man walks in and sits in the row in front of the Gabai. Behind the man walks five kids. The man sit, sits down and five kids <coughs> plop down in front of him. The Gabai's turning red and there was a sign. We sent out the emails. Everyone knew. He's not saying a word. Anyway, before long, the uh, candy wrappers start flying, the elbows start, and the kids start making noise. The Gabai's turning red and purple, doing everything he can not to say a word. And he was very glad he didn't say anything because when it was time for Kaddish Yosem, the father got up, the five boys got up to say Kaddish with their father, and then the Gabai understood. The reason why the man didn't see the sign was because he was sitting shiva for his wife and the boys were sitting shiva for their mother. And he was sure glad he didn't say a word. I know what's doing by Yenem. I know exactly what he, where he's at, what he's thinking. We human beings know nothing. But if I believe that Hashem is a shofate, the true judge, and perforce, I believe that Hashem knows exactly what I'm thinking, as I'm thinking. Hashem knows my past. Hashem knows my present. Hashem knows what I'm thinking, as I'm thinking it. And that's the third level of Amunah. The first level of Amunah is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world. second level of Amunah is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture issues of life. The third level of Amunah is knowing that Hashem reads through me like a book. Hashem hears my thoughts. And if you'd like to think about this, I'll give you a very simple exercise. Next time you daven Shemona Esrei, I want you to say to yourself, here I stand in front of Hashem. And Hashem peers into the essence of me. 
Do you remember from Science Lab there was a translucent man? You had the image, the translucent image of the man, and inside you saw the organs. There was the heart, the lung, the pancreas. You saw right through them. That's me when I damage my nursery. But I want to share with you one observation. The last pasuk that we say that ends our Shemona Esrei is, Yehulerotzon Imrei Thi. Let the words of my mouth find favor in your eyes, Hashem. Vehegyon Libi Lefanecha, and the thoughts of my heart in front of you. I don't need to speak out my words for Hashem to hear them. I don't need to reveal my thoughts. Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. I speak out the words for me, for the power of tefillah to affect me, and to have the koach of davening. But I don't need to speak them out for Hashem to hear them. Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. And that's the third level of Amuna. And now we come to the fourth level. And the fourth level of Amuna is where the real action is at. And to understand the fourth level of Amuna, I'll give you a little mushal. Imagine it's a February night, and it's cold, and it's dark, and I'm walking in a part of town that I normally don't walk in, and I do notice that it's very, very dark, very, very quiet, and very cold. I kind of pull my coat close around me, and as I'm walking, suddenly the car screeches, stops, three thugs jump out, one holds a gun pointed right to my forehead. Now here is the point. My existence is dependent on this kid. What good is Hashem's decree back on Rosh Hashanah, whether I'm going to live or die, when my existence is in the hand of this drug-crazed kid? We say the words, we accept that Hashem decrees who will live and who will die on Rosh Hashanah. And what good is Hashem's decree months earlier, when right now I'm in very serious trouble, and my existence is dependent on this punk in front of me? Would you like to know the answer to this question? And Muna 101 tells us that my existence is not dependent on him at all. In plain, simple terms, if my time is up, there's nothing that you or anyone else can do to change it. It's Seyschem L'Shalom, curtains down, it's over. But if in fact on the previous Rosh Hashanah, Hashem decreed otherwise, there'll be many, many ways that Hashem will have orchestrated He'll gun a misfire, he'll drop it. The New York City Fire Department will show up at a false call. A cab driver will jump the curb. There are many, many ways that Hashem will orchestrate for me not to have my demise if that wasn't decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah. But you see, Emunah 101 means knowing that if Hashem decrees on Rosh Hashanah who will live and who will die, perforce that means that Hashem is there 24-7, 365, with me all day, every day, to carry out that decree. Because if Hashem decrees on Rosh Hashanah that I will live and Hashem's not on the scene, then the decree is botul mavutl, it's meaningless. When I accept the fact that Hashem decrees who will live and who will die, I also accept the fact that Hashem is with me 24-7, 365, all day, every day. And what that means in plain, simple language is recognizing that Hashem is there in my day-to-day life. Hashem is with me. Hashem is guiding me. Hashem is protecting me. Last week we discussed the fact that as I walk down the street, it's like there's a loose sight bubble protecting me. You can scheme, you can dream, but you can't penetrate, you can throw rocks, you won't get in. There's no loose sight bubble, but it's Hashem right there guiding me and walking with me. And that is the fourth level of Amuna. The first level of Amuna is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world. The second level of Amuna is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture issues, which countries go to war, which countries are famine. The third level of Amuna is knowing that Hashem Here's my thoughts as I'm thinking them, but the fourth level is where the real action's at. The fourth level of Muna is knowing that Hashem is intimately involved in the running of my life day in and day out. And in plain, simple language, that means that Hashem is here. By the way, anyone know how many people died, died um, in, how many U.S. servicemen died in the Vietnam War? Anyone have a number? Quite a number, quite a number. Not made Afghanistan look like like nothing. Somewhere between forty and fifty thousand U.S. soldiers died in Vietnam. Okay, anyone know how many uh, motorists die on the U.S. highway system every year? Somewhere between forty and fifty thousand. Oh my goodness, I'm not going on the highway. Well, I got bad news for you. Uh, local streets have a greater incidence of accidents. I'm not driving. And why aren't I filled with dread? Unfortunately, the reason I'm not filled with dread is because I'm not aware, I'm not alert. But the reason why I shouldn't be filled with dread is because I should recognize that Hashem is here with me 24-7, 365, 
as I open my eyes in the morning, as I close them at night, as I get into the elevator, whether there's a cab there or not, as I walk by and the crane falls on me, Hashem is there 24-7 guiding me, guarding me. That's the fourth level of Muna. These four levels of Muna require constant work, each one independently, and each one requires focus and growth in. However, all of this is in the realm of Muna. This has nothing to do with Bitochen. Bitochen is a whole different ball of wax. And Bitochen is trusting Hashem, relying on Hashem, trusting in Hashem's master plan. And as the Chavos says, she gozer, putting myself, embracing the decree, accepting the fact that Hashem loves me more than I love me, but more than that, understanding that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best. Embracing the decree means I'm not in control. But not only aren't I in control, I don't even know what is best for me. I have my job to do. I have to use the world and the ways of the world. That's my shtadlis. To be healthy, I have to eat right and exercise. Turn to living, I have to get a job. When it's time to get married, I have to go out there and find the one I'm supposed to marry. But I'm going through the motions. I understand that the outcomes are absolutely directed by Hashem. I have to do my part, use the world and the ways of the world, and I have to recognize that the outcomes are absolutely up to Hashem. But you see, that's still in the realm of Amuna. That's growing in Amuna. And it requires a lot of work, but it has nothing to do with bitachon. And bitachon is trusting Hashem, embracing the decree. When I try, I try, and I try, and it doesn't go, Hashem, why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? You know why you? Because Hashem knows better than you what's for your best. But I know this is what I need. I have to have this. I have to have that. Last week we discussed playing God. Playing God is when I know exactly what I need. I need to marry this woman. I need to get this job. I need to get my kid in this class. I explained to Hashem why it's so good. I asked Hashem, I begged Hashem, I dominated, I brokered a deal, and Hashem doesn't do it. Hashem, why not? He angry me, I have a tiny thing, Hashem, why? And the understanding that that which I'm pursuing may not be for my best never seems to cross my conscious mind. Emunah is recognizing Hashem's involvement in the world. Bitochen is trusting Hashem, embracing the decree recognizing just because I don't understand doesn't mean there's not a reason. Just because I don't know the reason doesn't mean Hashem doesn't have a very clear plan. And learning to trust Hashem is a whole different situation and requires a whole different set of skills. You see, Bitochen is something that you have to work on directly. Emun is something that you can work on by opening a science textbook and something you think about on Shabbos. It's something you work on when you think about life. And certainly in the summer, if you go on a vacation and you see the mountains and you see the rivers, Emunah is very, very simple to work on there. Why? Because all you have to do is take pictures. I went with my wife to the Grand Canyon and I took many, many, many pictures. Not with my phone, not with my camera, with my mind's eye. Because I wanted to have that image, the chasm, the gap, the gigantic sight, the majesty of it. I wanted to have that in my mind's eye and so the next time I daven, I recognize I'm davening to the creator of all of this. And in the summer, you have time, you'll go around, whether it be the mountains, whether it be the, wherever you may be, take pictures in your mind's eye, pay attention, study wildlife, study the, the birds, study the... I once, it was a, when I was in Rochester, there was a bathroom that didn't have screens. And every time I went to this bathroom, excuse my saying it, I couldn't help but laugh. Why? Because on the windowsill were insects. But every single one was different than the other. Some were two-wing, some were four-wing, some were three-wing, some were green, some were black. I, it's astonishing. There are 10 million species of living things that man has identified. But that's nothing. He hasn't identified so much. There are 5,000 species of cockroaches. Excuse my saying that. There are 6,000 species of different beetles. Ants have at least 800 species. But each one's so different. Each one with such different... Study the world and you'll see the greatness of our Creator. And the growing in Amuna is exactly by doing that and by studying, reading the papers, but not reading today's newspapers, reading older papers. Study history. Study the fact that the Jewish nation is around for 1,900 years in exile still in existence. Of all the ancient people, the only ones still around. 
and somehow we've reclaimed our land, a barren wasteland, and within a hundred year span it's been rebuilt to one of the most powerful modern states in existence. You see Niflos Abore. I study the physical world, you see the wonders of Hashem's creation. Study the way Hashem runs the world, you see Hashem active in the world. But again, all of that is in the category of Amuna. And Bitochen is something altogether different. Bitochen is learning to trust Hashem. Learning to trust in the master plan. Learning when it's black, it's bleak, and I don't know where we're headed. And knowing that just because I don't know where we're headed, doesn't mean Hashem doesn't have a very clear plan. And these are very different skill sets, very different madregas that a person has to work on. And moon has to be worked on, and Bitochen has to be worked on, but they're very different. I believe this Chazal reveals to us a very important Yesod. What Hashem was saying to Moshe Benin was, in Amuna you're tops, no question. There's nobody who's like you in Amuna. And but in Mitochon, in unwavering trust, Avram Yitzhak Chaval al you're not there yet. You're not there because Avram Avinu had absolute trust, so to Yitzhak, so to Yaakov, Moshe Benin, you have work to do. And Muna is recognizing Hashem runs the world, and Mitochon is trusting in Hashem. And Muna has four levels to basic Amuna. First level is knowing that Hashem created and maintains the world. And second level is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture issues of life. The third level is knowing that Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. And the fourth level of Amuna is knowing that Hashem is with me 24-7, 365, all day, every day, and seeing Hashem there. But Bitochen is something different altogether. And Bitochen is focusing on these two concepts that we mentioned last week. Number one, Hashem loves me more than I love me. And that one's not so hard. It's a second one that gives us so much trouble. And knowing that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best. Even though I know this is so important. Even though I know getting this client is the best thing in the world for me. Even though I know that this is the ideal job. And somehow it's not going. I try, I try, I try. And it's not going. Hashem, why? Knowing that as much as I know what's for my best, Hashem knows better is the basics of Bitochen. And I want to close with a story that I'm actually very fond of. I'll tell you the story um, maybe in order and not backwards as I usually do. The story goes like this. And there was a young fellow, newly married, and he was in an administrative or nursing home. And his father got a call from another two fellows who were looking to invest and buy a nursing home. So these other two fellows brought this young man and his father into the deal, and all four of them met with the nursing home owner. All four of them in the office with the nursing home owner. And after long, long conversations, at a certain point, the nursing home owner asked the other two people to leave and asked the father and son to stay in the room. Okay, the father and son stay in the room, the other people leave, and the nursing home owner says to them as follows, I want you to know something. I don't like those guys. I don't trust them. I don't want to do business with them. You guys I like. I want to sell the home to you. And the father says, I don't know. The son says, I don't know. I want you to think about it. I'll give you 10 minutes. I want you to take the home. I'm going to sell it to you. They leave the room. And the father says to the son, what should we do? The son says, listen, those guys brought us into this deal. It's not right. How could we go? They bring us into the deal. And we cut them out and we buy it. It's just not right. So they come back in after 10 minutes. And the nursing home owner says, so, what's your decision? And the man says, I'll tell you, I, I would have done it, but my son doesn't want it part of it. We have to say no. The nursing home owner turns to the man and says, listen to me very carefully. Your son is a fool. You're giving up the greatest opportunity of your life. You're not going to make a dime. Take this now. And the son says, no, it's not right. I'm not doing it. Anyway, Kahava, they left the office. Very shortly thereafter, this young man lost his job. And he was having great difficulty getting a job in the nursing home industry because this nursing home owner was quite influential, quite powerful. It got so bad that he had to leave the state where he was. Had to go move. Had to move. And found himself in a different state, got a job. And somehow some, somebody contacted him, you know, there's an opportunity, maybe to be a partial investor. He invested and got involved, more involved, more involved. Anyway, I learned with this fellow on a regular basis and one uh, one Friday morning, when we usually learn, he said to me, Rebbe, I apologize, but next next week I can't make it. I said, why not? Well, uh, I'll be honest, I tried to get out of it, but I, I couldn't. The governor wanted a breakfast with me, and, and I couldn't. It was the only time it was available. I apologize, we can't learn next week. 
Okay, why did the governor want to have breakfast with him? Because the state owed him $62 million and the governor was begging forbearance, a little time to pay it off. He was such a wealthy, 4,000 employees, a phenomenally wealthy fellow who got lucky. Oh, knowing that just because I don't know the reason and doesn't mean that Hashem doesn't have a plan. And just because I don't get it doesn't mean that Hashem isn't directing this. And not every story has such a sweet, obvious ending. And it could be I'll never understand it. It could be I won't understand the why for five years or ten years. It could be that I'll leave this earth. And only when I'll leave this earth I'll understand why. But knowing full well that Hashem is the driver, knowing full well that Hashem knows where He's leading us, that's bitachon. And moon is knowing that Hashem runs the world, bitachon is trusting Hashem, taking my heavy load, transferring it to Hashem, embracing the decree, recognizing that Hashem knows better than I what's my best. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. It could be on this topic. It could be on any other. Um, it's easiest if you're brave and raise your hand. If not, we could take some of the uh, type questions in. But please feel free to raise uh, to raise your hand. I'll gladly call on you if you raise your hand. I also have some questions that were emailed in. By the way, please feel free at any time to email questions to Rebbe, R-E-B-B-E, at theshmooz.com. Rebbe and the Shmuz.com, but please feel free to raise your hand because it makes my life much easier. Okay, Jake, you have the floor. Hi, I can't hear very well. Is that better? Yeah, much better. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Roger. So, uh, my question is how do we uh, understand um, and their effect? Uh, and their effect on sort of the outcome of our lives, and also let's say anti anti segulas. Okay. So it, like everything is inside of a uh, shot of steel, they're going to So how do we? Uh, but then we we have all these segulas, you know, for us, not for health, and things that go. Yeah. Into so let me. I'll tell you a little story. And uh, Rav Shimon Schwab, who tremendous uh, guttle, uh, his granddaughter came home from seminary. And he noticed on her wrist a red, uh, a red little thread, and so Schwab said, um, "Tell me, what what is the uh, what is the meaning of this?" And she said, "Well, it's a it's a school so I should find a shidduch." And Schwab said, "Tell me, do you think Hashem needs help?" The young girl says, "No, I don't think so." And Schwab said, "Do you mind if I cut it off?" She said, "I guess not." He cut it off and said, "Okay." What am I saying to you? If you see a segula written by Chazal, it's it's a segula. But everything that people take us uh, don't please don't uh, don't and more than that, a segula just means if you're really raw for it, if you're worthy for it, I mean, there's something blocking it. There's certain things that could take away a blockage, but you have to be worthy for it. What I'm saying in plain language is Hashem runs the world. You don't need schoolers. You don't need. Um, I was being facetious with my hidden famous Kabbalist, I hope you appreciate the facetiousness, we have a very simple direct line. We talk to our Creator. We talk to the Creator of the heavens and earth and say, please Hashem, you're in charge. I don't need intermediaries. I don't need schoolers. I don't need red bindle. I dive into Hashem. I trust in Hashem. And that's the uh, that's the system. And so, just a follow-up question. So, how do we understand Sakhar um as it, as it pertains to what happens in our day-to-day lives? Okay, so scharva onish means I'm given reward for that which I did proper, I'm punished for that which I did improper. Right. So, so uh, sort of the same same line of thinking. You know, we you know we're told that we do certain certain things and we uh, you know that might work well for parnasa, not necessarily as a segula, but uh, you know it shows that uh, you know that we're ready for it, so to speak. Same thing with health. Um, you know what a school of Parnassa is? Amiri says there are two things that, that will most assure your Parnassa. Number one, being honest in business. Number one, being honest in business. And number two, tefillah, davening. Those are the two schoolers for Parnassa. Number one, being scrupulously honest to the penny, even paying taxes. Oh, you don't know, say the word, even paying taxes. And being scrupulously honest in business. And two, prayer. Obviously, you have to put in your establishment, you've got to work, you've got to open your business, whatever you're doing. But I'm saying, if you want schoolers, those are the two schoolers. Miri is a Rishon. And those are the, and by the way, the biggest one is Tfila. The first one is very important. 
<laughs> but even more important is tefillah. So um, if you're looking for a school of Parnassa, number one, be honest in business. Number two, pray to the one who's got all the money. All the money. By the way, what's God's net worth? What is God's net worth? I mean, he owns <clears throat> diamond mines in South Africa, owns oil in Saudi Arabia, he owns uh, land in uh, Manhattan, very, very, pretty high net worth. And talk to the one who's got lots and lots of money and explain to him why you need it. Be scrupulously honest and Davin. I think those are very, very good schoolers and Hashem will help. Okay, thank you. All right, okay. Sorry to be so uh, <coughs> so direct about that. But okay, um, okay. Please feel free to raise your hand if you have a question. Uh, if not, I can take the type questions, which I will take if I if I have to. But if you want to save a voice um, and give me a moment to break, uh, I'll gladly take questions. Everybody's too shy. Um, I actually I want to take a question that was typed, that was emailed in before. Uh, the question is as follows: When I have a difficult challenge, I often feel like I can connect to Hashem, and I tell myself that Hashem is with me, etc. But then, soon after, I start feeling such humiliation. Like how I even have the chutzpah to act as though I deserve for him to get me out of this situation. So that's the question. The question is, when I daven, I feel close to Hashem, but then I have humiliation of who am I to you know to feel I'm worthy of this. And I'd like to share with you, you got it 100% correct. Absolutely accurate. When I daven to Hashem, I say to Hashem, it's not because I'm worthy, not because I've done anything. Please have mercy. Not because I deserve it. Not because you should. First of all, chutzpah. Forget anything else. Who am I to talk to God? God's not the mayor. He's not the president. He's the creator of heaven. Who am I to speak to God? There's only one reason I do this. I'm a Jewish person, and therefore I have entree. I have special rights to speak to my creator, to speak to Hashem, and I speak in first-person language. Please, Hashem, directly. I don't say it because I'm worthy I don't claim to be anything. I'm asking for mercy. Please, Hashem. So if you feel you're not worthy, you got it right. If you feel you're humiliated, you got it perfectly right. But that's exactly what it is. I'm not deserving. I'm not worthy. I'm not claiming to be some... I'm asking Hashem for mercy. But more than anything, I want you to understand that that's what Hashem wants. Many, many times, Hashem will leave things out of our lives. Hashem will specifically hold things back so that we come to recognize that He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. I've said this a number of times, but it bears repeating over and over. All of the Imals were barren. But barren doesn't mean they couldn't have ch- didn't have children. They physically couldn't have children. I think Mar says, why is it that the Imals and Avos were all barren? I think Mar says, because Hashem is Mesadil shel Tzadikim. Hashem desires the Tfil of a Tzadik. Now I'd like to ask you a simple question. That doesn't sound very nice. Sari Menu is a lovely woman of Baal's Chesed doing your will, and she's asking for a child. So <clears throat> you want to hear a tefillah, so you don't give her a child? She's 25, she's dominating, she's dominating. Give her a child, she's 35. No, 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 no. Not until she's 90. It doesn't sound very nice. Would you like to know why Hashem is Mesabe, why Hashem desires a tefillah tzaddik? Because when you reach out and ask Hashem for help, you change. I cut through the static, I cut through the noise, I recognize that I am not in control. I recognize that Hashem runs the world. I recognize that my destiny is not up to me or anyone else. It's strictly in Hashem's hands. But it requires dominating and dominating and dominating. And as great as Sarimena was at 15 when she first got married, she wasn't yet there. Not at 25, not at 35. It wasn't until she was 90 years old, after decades of dominating, that she was ready to be the mother of the Jewish nation. And the reason why Hashem desires our tefillahs is not because Hashem needs our tefillahs. It's because I change, I grow I reach the ultimate level of getting it and realizing that Hashem is here. So if you feel embarrassed, if you feel unworthy, you got it right. And I'm not saying that Hashem is coming to me, I'm entitled. The opposite. I don't deserve any. Everything you've showered upon me is so much more than I could ever deserve. Whatever you've given me, the words of Nishmas, if our mouth were filled with praise like the ocean, not one ten thousand, ten thousand, could I thank you for everything you've done? I'm so indebted and I'm so unworthy. Nevertheless, I ask for mercy, I ask for more, and I know that Hashem wants this, because through this I grow. So, in answer to your question, I would say, yes, good. Feeling undeserving is proper, and nevertheless you have the right and ability to ask, and that's Gufa, one of the greatest growth processes for you. 
Okay, Avram, we have a question, a hand up. You got the floor. Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem, hey. Um, this question is that I understand if a person is uh, asking the question, of Mashiach Rabbeinu is asking, why me? I understand he, he, he doesn't have a full betachan. But it sounds like if he's asking the question, he's at least trusting Hashem that he's running the show. He's a conductor driving the train. So he's trusting Hashem that he's driving the train somewhere. He just thinks he... He himself just thinks he has to go the opposite direction. Hashem is driving in the wrong direction. Right. So doesn't he, it doesn't sound like he's missing the boat completely. He's just not fully getting it. Yep. Why does it sound like he's missing the boat if he's, if he's asking so you, you got, By the way, for you and I, it might be full bitach and it might be great. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. <clears throat> Moshe Rabbeinu, not to have complete unwavering trust, is is a lack. Meaning, yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, I get it. You have a plan and you there's a reason for it, but I don't want to be a part of it. What that's indicating is a slight lack of trust on some level. For us, you're right, it wouldn't be a big, uh, it may not even be a niche in the arm, clink in the armor, and the Moshe man on his level of his greatness, it was considered a lack, and therefore Hashem said to him, you know, this is something to work on. Okay, Marathia. Okay, thanks for visiting. Okay, please feel free to raise your hand if you have questions. Uh, you can type them in if you're very uh, shy. Um, or we could just, uh, well, I could talk about the, uh, Stop Surviving, Start Living book. That's what I could, oh, no, I'm not talking about Stop Surviving, Start Living. I'm talking about the 10 really dumb mistakes. They're very smart couple. Pre-publication copy. It's not in stores. won't be in stores till Rosh Hashanah. If you would like a copy, please go to schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. Why am I putting out pre-publication copies? Because people have asked for it, and I think it's a very important book. It's a basic book about marriage and deals with so many issues. I've been dealing with, I've dealt with hundreds of couples and over and over I find people making, excuse my saying it, dumb mistakes. Dumb mistakes. There's no reason for them to be having trouble. No reason for them, but they do. And the reason is because they're making dumb mistakes. Not understanding the relationship, not understanding the gender differences, not understanding what marriage is about. So, if you'd like to greatly improve your marriage or just get a better understanding of marriage, whether you're married or not, the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, pre-publication copies, it's not in stores yet, won't be in stores until Rosh Hashanah, but it is available on the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. Also, if you'd like to join the Schmooze WhatsApp Chizik group, three, four times a week we send out short inspirational videos, usually two, three minutes long. If you'd like to get them directly to your phone, send a please subscribe to 845-216-9330. Again, that's 845-216-9330. Just say, please subscribe, and we'll put you into the uh, Schmooze uh, Chizik uh, WhatsApp group, and you'll get these inspirational videos. Uh, okay, and one more point. Next week, again, it's Wednesday night. and we, we may be permanently switching into Wednesday night, but certainly next week it's going to be Wednesday night. So I hope to see you then. Thank you for joining, and have a good Shabbos. Thank you.